All right, we have a special by the children at First Baptist Church, so we're going to ask the kids to come on up here, and Susan, if you would come on up, and then right after they sing for us, we've got something we want to share with them just for a minute before they go to class. So let's welcome First Baptist Church Kids Choir. All right. Are we on? We are on. Ready? Oh, I need an F. Let me get the F first. Tell me, tell is that the right? Yeah. Tell me. Oh. Pay attention. This is very important. Just a hint. Tell me, Olivia, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? Yes, I'm sure I love Jesus. Tell me why you love Jesus. Here's why I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Tell me, Kara, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? Yes, I'm sure I love Jesus. Tell me why you love Jesus. Here's why I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Tell me, whoops, <laughs> tell me, Addie, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? Yes, I'm sure I love Jesus. Tell me why you love Jesus. Here's why I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Tell me, church, do you love Tell me, church, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, we love Jesus. Are you sure you love Jesus? Tell us why you love Jesus. All together. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Woo! You guys rock! All right. I am first, and thank you so much for that. And I was reading this morning in the Bible, and it says all of the commandments, all of the commandments. How many commandments are in the Bible? Well, there's 10 for sure. Moses got 10, but there are like 
oh my goodness, there are like at least 20 commandments in the Bible, maybe 120, maybe 3,000. I'm not sure. There's a whole bunch of commandments in the Bible. And, and so one of, the, one of the people, one of the religious people of Jesus' day was trying to trip him up. And, and all of the commandments are important because God gave them. And so he said to Jesus, which one is the most important? What's the greatest commandment of all? And here's what Jesus said. Are you ready? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The heart speaks of our emotions, and, and, the, and the soul and mind, the soul, our spirit, and the mind is everything that we think and, and, and will and plan. And so we're to love God completely. And then he said, the second commandment is like it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. So we're supposed to love God supremely and our neighbors as we love our own selves. And that is the basis for all of the hundreds and thousands of commands in the word of God. So I made a valentine for each of you. And I want to give this to you. And it says, roses are red, violets are blue, someone loves you, and here is a clue, John three sixteen, because he loves you more than anybody and everybody in the entire world. All right, let's pray. Oops, one more right here. Everybody got one now? All right, let's pray. Father, bless us today. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You go ahead and go to your class now. Thank you so much for singing for us today. All right. And to everyone else here, welcome. Thanks for coming to First Baptist Church today. Oh, this is Valentine's Day, so I'm sure if you haven't already done something very special for your Valentine that you will very, very soon. There was a song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love, 1965, popular song, lyrics by Hal David, music composed by Burt Bacharach, and it was first introduced and made famous by Jackie DeShannon, April the 15th, 1965. It reached number seven on the U.S. Hot 100 chart in July of that year, What the World Needs Now is love, sweet love. I suppose every popular singer, every popular group, every band has some kind of love song that they're famous for. Uh, this is Valentine's Day, and commercials have been running nonstop about all the neat things that you need to do for the people who are your Valentine, your special loves in your life, uh, candy, flowers, dinner, all of the above. Uh, and I even, I even heard this. I heard the average person the average, this, this blew my mind, and I don't even believe it's true. So the average person will spend over $500 for their Valentine. And I'm telling you right now, 500 bucks, Pat, 500 bucks. Just, just kind of giving you, that's the average. So just kind of planting that seed there. But anyhow, uh, how much do people really know about love? How much did Jackie DeShannon know about love? How much did Burt Bacharach know about? I don't know. Maybe they know a lot. But really, what does the Bible say about love? Books on love abound. You go down to the bookstore, you can find them. You go online, you can find them. Even in the Christian bookstores, there'll be tons and tons of books on love, Christian books, and finding out how to communicate with your wife in a way that she understands, which I got to tell you is kind of hard sometimes, what she says and what she really means. I, I read, you probably have heard this before, but when she says fine, like fine, 
That's a word women use to end an argument that they feel that they are right and you need to now shut up. <laughs> On the other hand, you, husbands, should never use fine to describe how your wife looks. This will cause you to have one of those arguments. <laughs> five minutes. You ready? Honey, you ready to go? Yeah, I'll be ready in five minutes. That's approximately a half an hour. But it is equivalent to the five minutes that your football game is going to last before you take out the trash, so that's an even trade. Nothing. When she says, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing usually means something, and you should be on your toes, guys. Nothing is used to describe a feeling a woman has of wanting to turn you inside out, upside down, and backwards. Nothing usually signifies an argument that will last five minutes and end with the word fine. If she says, go ahead, with her eyebrows raised, that's a dare. <laughs> One that will result in a woman getting upset over nothing and end up with the word fine. If she says, go ahead, with normal eyebrows, that means I give up, do what you want to do, because I don't really care, which will be followed by raised eyebrows and a go ahead and, and, and followed by nothing and fine, and she won't talk to you for about five minutes until she cools off. A loud sigh is not actually a word, but it's a nonverbal statement often misunderstood by men. A loud sigh means she thinks you're an idiot at the moment and wonders why she's wasting her time standing here arguing with you about nothing. A soft sigh, again, is not a word, but a nonverbal command, and it means she's content. Your best bet is not to move or breathe, <laughs> and she will stay content. That's okay. This is one of the most dangerous statements a woman can make. That's okay. It means she wants to think long and hard before paying you back for whatever it is that you've done. That's okay is often used with her fine and in conjunction with a raised eyebrow. Please do. This is not a statement. It is an offer. A woman's giving you the chance to come up with whatever excuse or reason you have for doing whatever it is that you've done. You have a fair chance with the truth. So be careful what, that you don't get a that's okay. Thanks. A woman is thanking you. Do not faint. Just say you're welcome. Thanks a lot is much different from thanks. A woman will say thanks a lot when she's really ticked off, and it signifies you've offended her in some callous way and will be followed by a loud sigh. Be careful not to ask what's wrong after the loud sigh. She will only tell you nothing. So be afraid. Be very afraid. So is there not a handbook somewhere? Are there not directions, guys, somewhere to help us, to, to, to guide us through this minefield? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. It's called the Bible. And if you want to learn about love, from the source of love and the author of love, then spend a lot of time in God's love book to you. And one of the most prominent passages, of course, on this theme is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I'm going to invite your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13 the great love chapter. Now, in the King James Bible, it uses the word charity, which is an old-fashioned word for love. Uh, the premise of love is the first thing we want to look at. So in 1 um, Corinthians chapter 13, it starts out talking about if we do these great magnanimous things, but we don't have love, then it's nothing. And so you got to back up a little bit to find out what he's talking about. And so you go to the chapter before, because there were no chapter divisions when the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. It was divided into chapters and verses so that it made it easier for us to study. 
I, if I just told you to go to the letter to Corinthians and, and about halfway through that or maybe a little further than that, about two-thirds of the way through, you'll find the, what I'm going to talk about today. It would take a long time. But we say 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, you get right there. So back up a little bit, and here's what it says in the 31st verse of chapter 12. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts, gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And in the King James, it says most excellent, a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the various gifts or the charisma that God has given to the church through the Holy Spirit. There's the word of wisdom in verse 8 of chapter 12. The word of knowledge also in verse 8. There's faith, special faith to believe God, verse 9. Gifts of healing in verse 9. The working of miracles in verse 10. Prophecy. Uh, and that can be two things. That can be foretelling the future, and it can be telling forth the future, two different things, but prophesying the Word of God. Discerning of spirits, verse 10. Speaking in various languages, verse 10. Interpretations of languages in verse 10. Then Paul launches into the comparison of the body of Christ or the church with our own physical bodies, and he goes over in the 12th chapter how every part of the body is important. Even the parts that we cover up and we hide, they're very important, and the parts that seem the least significant, are extremely important. I've used the example many times through the years. One time in doing some, some carpentry, I hit my thumb uh, with a hammer, I mean with a sledgehammer, one of those small sledgehammers, really hard. And I mean, I'm telling you, it went, the pain went all the way up here and into my arm, into my stomach, the pit of my stomach, and it was not a funny thing, a fun thing. But then a few days later, my thumbnail came off. And quite frankly, I had never spent a lot of time thanking God for my thumbnail. I just never had. I mean, I'm glad we have them, but it's like, you know, I've never said, Lord, I just want to thank you for the two thumbnails that I have today. I never thought about it until I lost my thumbnail. And every time I stuck my hand in my pocket, every time I tried to pick up something, every time I brushed against something, it was the tender bed of the, uh, of the thumb there that without the nail's protection, all of a sudden, I got very appreciative for that tissue that covered the bed of my thumb. So every part of the body is important. Every single part. Not everyone, uh, not everyone's a preacher. Not everyone can sing. Not everyone can play the instruments. Not everyone can run the sound. Not everyone uh, can do the things that need to be. Not everyone can be lead in leadership. Not everyone can teach an adult class. Not everyone can teach kids. Not everyone has the patience to work in the nursery. But all of us together form the body of Christ. And when all the members of the body are present, then it functions better. Now, can the body function without certain body parts? Of course. We had an incredible preacher here about three or four weeks ago. Tim Lee lost both of his legs in Vietnam. Is he able to function? He sure is. Can he get around? You better believe he can get around. Nothing slows him. Nothing stops him. He travel, he's traveled for the last uh, 40-some years preaching the gospel around the world. Uh, he can get up flights of stairs. He can, go, he can go anywhere that you can go. He's an avid hunter and fisherman. Uh, nothing slows him down, nothing stops him. But I will tell you this, he had to figure out how to redo things without the use of his legs. And so the church of Jesus Christ can do things without all of the body parts there, but not as efficiently, not as effectively. Do you think for a moment Tim Lee would love to have his legs back? Absolutely he would. 
He, he told me years ago, he said he went to one church one time and, and got through preaching and someone came up to him afterwards and said, Tim Lee, I'm, I'm sure sorry you lost your leg. He said, just think, in heaven you're going to have a solid gold wheelchair. Tim Lee said, are you nuts? He said, my legs are already there. I'm going to have my legs when I get back, uh, get back up there. He would love to have them because it makes everything so much easier. And when the body of Christ is put together and every body part is functioning in the way that God wants it to, doing what it wants it to do and designed it to do, then life uh, and the body of, of life is much easier, much more efficient, and works better. So, uh, so this, this discussion of every member here is important. Every single part has a purpose and a function and is necessary. I had my appendix out when I was a kid. Uh, I'm not sure what it did, but it was supposed to do something. I had my tonsils out when I was in college. I know it's supposed to do something. It's a filtering system, uh, and, and it's supposed to filter out bacteria and keep you from getting sick and, uh, and so on. So, uh, so every single part of our body has a function, every single part of First Baptist Church. Every single member has a function. Then thirdly, after he talks about that, he, he again lists the callings and the ministries and the giftedness of God's people in verse 28. And some were apostles. They were the sent out ones, sent out by Christ, chosen by him, sent forth to do the work. There were the prophets. There were the teachers. There were the miracles, the gifts of healing, the helps, the administrations, the variety of languages. And he concludes with the observation that not everyone has every gift. And that's why they're all important. So we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all bring the same gifts to the table in God's house. You have a certain specific number of gifts or certain specific gifts that you bring to this body that makes the body complete when you employ those gifts for the service of the Lord. And so he includes this observation with all these offices and all these callings and all these gifts and comparing it to the body, the physical body, he concludes with this observation that there is a more excellent way. And so that's the premise of love. The second point is the primacy of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as sounding bronze or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, I want us to stop and think about what he's really saying. Do you really understand what the Apostle Paul is saying? I mean, stop and think about each one of those things. If I had the power to foresee and understand everything that ever would happen, if I had the ability to speak every language there is in the world, if I had the power to be able to say to a mountain range, move, be moved from here to there, or in another place in the Bible, be cast to the sea. If I had faith that strong, if I had the, the desire to give everything I own to the poor, and if I laid my life down as a human sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ, if I did all of that and didn't have love, then Paul says it's absolutely worthless. It's no good whatsoever. Even in the Old Testament, God says, I don't desire your sacrifices. The sacrifices they were giving, they were giving the appropriate animal sacrifices, but they weren't given the real sacrifices, which was to know God and to love God and to serve God and to give themselves to God. Paul in Romans says, we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. 
that's holy and acceptable unto God. So Paul says, if I, had, if I lack love, everything else I do is for nothing. No matter, no matter what kind of good works I do, if I don't have love, it's absolutely nothing. So love or charity in the AV, in the, in the King James Version, is agape, agape love. There are several words for love in the Greek language, and this spirit very specifically is agape love, which is a godly love, which is love that comes from God first. I don't believe any lost person that has the ability to experience agape love for anyone else unless they first of all receive it from God. So he loves us in an unconditional, incredible way, enough that he sent his son down the cross for us, that agape love. He didn't use the Greek word eros, from which we get the English word erotic. He didn't use that word. In fact, that, word's not, that Greek word's not in the, the New Testament. He didn't use the word philio, which we get our uh, Philadelphia uh, the, the, the name Philadelphia from, which is a brotherly love, which we have one toward another. He didn't use that. He used rather agape love, which is a godly love that comes from God, returns back to God, and we're able to love people in that way in an unconditional way because that love is the, is the more excellent way. It is the more excellent path. It is the more excellent road. So without that love, agape love, godly love, languages, if I could speak a hundred of them, For prophecy, if I could preach in, 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 in the most amazing way ever, sacrifice, they're all empty, they're meaningless, and a waste. So the primacy of love. Number three is the personality of love. The personality of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they shall pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So what exactly signifies what real agape love is? First of all, it's patient. Not easily roused to resentment. When we have God's love, we, we are more patient with people. We are more understanding with family, with people we work with. We try to see things from their viewpoint. We don't, we don't get resentful and hateful and vindictive. We are patient. We're kind, which means we're inclined to be of good service to others. It's more than just being friendly. It's having an attitude of being a servant, serving one another. When we're kind to each other in this way, in this biblical way, we figure out ways to serve each other and do for each other things that we need to have done. Husbands, you're to serve your wives. Well, I thought she was to bring me my slippers and you know, I am the king of the, yeah. Well, you treat her like a slave, that's going to make you uh, something less than the king by a long shot. I'm going to tell you something. It's the idea of the mutual servanthood. It's the idea of the husband serving the wife, the wife serving the husband. It's a beautiful thing. When Jesus is our example as a servant leader, he came to seek and to save the lost, and he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom. 
He is my example of how to be a better husband to my wife. I'm to figure out ways to give myself to her. I'm to be patient with her. I'm to be kind with her. I'm to serve her. I'm to, to, to do whatever I need for her and with her. We got a, a wedding coming up in uh, next month, first Sunday of, of next month. And I will say there, as I always do in weddings, as I did in years, Gilbert, uh, I, I will say to them, uh, if you love your wife, and, and wife, if you, if you love your wife enough that you're willing to die for her, then doesn't it make sense you're willing to live for her? How inconsistent, how weird would it be? Uh, yeah, I would die for her. I'd take a bullet for her. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm sitting at McDonald's and some crazy guy comes in with a gun, starts blowing people away, I'm going to protect my wife. That's what I'm going to do. I will die for her, but you know what? Take the trash out, babe. It needs to be taken out. Get, go ahead, do it. Uh uh-uh. uh. If you if you're willing to die for her, you should be willing to live for her and make her life at absolute as close to heaven on earth as you possibly can. Treat her like the queen that she is, that she should be. In Philippians 2 4 said, Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So what is it, when we have time together, what is it I want to do? Is that what I ought to be thinking about? What is it I would like to do on a day off? Or, or should I be thinking, what is it that you would like to do? Mark 10, 43 and 44 says, Whosoever will be great among you must be your servant. Whosoever will be first among you must be slave of all. You want to be first in the biblical sense, then you serve the most people. That's the qualifier here. And then he says, love does not envy. Envy is the essence of covetousness. When I see someone and they have something and I envy that, I am breaking the, one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. How come they have that job? How come they have that house? How come they have that whatever? How come, why do they, how come I don't have that? That's wrong. Not, we're not to envy. It's the essence of covetousness. We, we ought to rejoice when other people are blessed in whatever way it is, with promotions, with advancement, with, uh, with material things, with whatever it is, we ought to be thanking God for them. Love doesn't boast, doesn't sound its own praise, doesn't toot its own horn. Nothing wrong with trumpet playing. It just doesn't toot its own horn, you know? We don't, we don't have to brag. It's not arrogant or prideful. Doesn't put others down to, promotes one, to promote oneself. So many times people will cut other people down to make themselves look better. That's not agape love. It is not rude. Do you know agape love has manners? Agape love is polite. Agape love opens doors. Agape love carries groceries. Agape love will reach down and pick up something when someone else drops it. Agape love is the kind that figures out how to be polite to other people and help them out. Agape love doesn't insist on its own way but puts others first. Agape love is not irritable or resentful. It's long-suffering and patient, and by the way, doesn't keep track of offenses. Yeah, that's the seventh time today that he did that. That's the, don't, don't keep lists mentally or physically. Don't do it. Agape love doesn't rejoice at wrong. Rather, it, it rejoices in truth. Agape love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love that. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all. Agape love all never runs out of hope. Godly love never runs out of hope. God always can do because God can do anything. Isn't that right? All things are possible with him and through him. And so we, we, we bear all things, we believe all things, we hope all things, we endure all things. It's not negative, it's not depressive, it's not critical, but it's, it's steadfast. And, and for you, military, endures here is a military term, which means to hold fast even in the face of continued assaults. I read about, and I, I think I marked that article, I think I gave you a few weeks ago, I read about... Um, a greatly outmanned group of Marines, hugely outmanned, who held in the Korean War, held this particular position against all odds uh, forever. It seemed, it seemed like forever to them until they, until they were finally uh, reinforced. But they endured. They, they probably didn't want to stay there. The bullets flying, the bombs, the cold, the everything else they dealt with. But they endured. They held fast, even the face of continued assaults. And folks, we live in a world that is not friendly to Christians. You've probably figured that out. In other countries right now, they're being killed. Christians are being killed. In Syria, I can't remember now the number of, of specific, uh, the specific numbers that were given, but there used to be, uh, I think it was... I can't remember, but a significant number of Christians, and now it's down, it's reduced to about one-fourth the number that used to be in the, in the, the capital. I mean, Christians are being put to death simply because they are Christians. This world's not our home. We're just a passing through, right? Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But until then, we endure. This is a battle. This is not a tea party. It's not a picnic. It's not some kind of a social. It's not cookies and crumpets and tea and, and lemonade. It's, it's, it's battle. It's warfare. Onward, Christian soldier. Yeah, not Christian party goer. Onward, Christian soldier. We're fighting a fight. The greatest cause there ever was. And that leads us to the fourth point, which is the permanence of love in verse 8. Agape love never fails. Never fails. Agape love outlasts all. It is permanent. It is unconditional. Guys, your love for your wife needs to be unconditional. It's not, I love you because you love me. I love you if you love me. I love you if you'll do this for me. I love you as long as that. Those are all conditions. You need to say, I love you, and put a big, fat period right after that. I love you unconditionally because that's the way God loves us. He doesn't only love us if we're excelling in every way spiritually. He doesn't only love us if we obey every word. He loves us unconditionally. Our love ought to outlast everything. It ought to be permanent. It ought to be unconditional. It ought to outlast all failures. And by the way, there will be failures in life. It is even better than than the prized gifts of prophecies and knowledge and languages, which will all end in some point in the future. In fact, the Bible says prophecies and knowledge will be abolished. And the Greek word for will end there is abolished. And that means those gifts are inoperable. And that happens 
happens when that which is perfect has come. The eternal state is that which is perfect and complete. Then and only then will these two things not be needed. The verb used with language is indifferent. It says it will cease of itself. And it did at the end of the apostolic age. The point being, agape, godly love, will never, ever, ever, ever cease or desist. So this is, this is love. This is real love. This is godly love. And as I shared with the kids a little earlier, Jesus gave a summary of the entire law when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let me ask you something. Do you love God supremely? Do you absolutely love God supremely, unconditionally, regardless of whatever trials come, whatever pressures come, whatever assaults come? Do you love him? Do you genuinely love people? I mean genuinely. I mean, yeah, I love them, but I'm, not talking, about, I'm talking about do you really love people? And if no to either one of those questions, what are you going to do about it today, right now? Would you bow your heads? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you set the bar of what real love is, that you've outlined it, you've explained it to us, you've told us about the characteristics of love. But even more importantly, I suppose, than telling us the characteristics and the personality of love you lived it before us. You showed us by giving your son, by his dying on the cross, for people not only who would embrace him and serve him, but for people who would nail him to the cross, people who would cry out, crucify him, people who hated him, people who would wash their hands in a basin of water trying to get rid of his blood, people who absolutely despised him and would give him a traitorous kiss on the cheek. He died for all of them. Such an amazing love. God help us to love you the way we should and then to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please?